That goes perfect with your outfit for today. (laughs) Welcome to Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley. Sitting with me is the Dean of Rock U, the man himself, Matt Black. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good night. I'm not sure when you're listening, but hey, everybody. (laughs) And we have somebody else sitting here with us, too. He is the drummer for the Doodads. He's my drum teacher, and his name is Rory Quinn. And let's not forget, Rory teaches the most bands at Rock U, eight Rock U bands every week. He's a hard worker. Say hi to Rory. Hi, everybody. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to to be your guys' first guest on the Extra Credit podcast. Of course it is. And being a drummer, I, I definitely had to have another drummer on first. Sorry about that, it, Matt. It had to be you, Rory. We, we, we know. We know you're listening every, every episode and giving us some feedback, so we had to bring you on. Thanks for being here today and chatting music with us and chatting drums. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, thanks again. We got to do what are you wearing? I'll start first. Because Rory's our guest, I'm wearing my Don't Drink and Drum t shirt, which is uh, always a good rule. Don't go drinking before you start playing your gigs. What are you wearing, Matt? Well, as my band students at Rock U can attest, what I know about drums could fit into a small envelope. And so the only thing I decided to wear today was my police t shirt. Most of my students know the police are my favorite band, but part of the reason for that is Stuart Copeland is my favorite drummer. Cool. Now, what are you wearing, Rory? All right, so today <laughs> I decided to honor drummers everywhere, stadium rock drummers in particular, and I opted for the bare-chested uh, look. So there you go, just pop the top. And <laughs> let me just tell our audience, the spectacle is magnificent. I mean, you really want a piece of this. <laughs> All right, so where are we going to start with Rory? We've never interviewed anybody before, so we got to figure this out. Uh, we did write some questions down, so what do you think we ought to start with? Rory, tell us how you got your start in music. When did you decide you wanted to be a musician? When did you start decide you wanted to be a drummer? Tell us about it. Young Rory, oh, wow. strolling the streets of Edmonton. I remember when I was, I guess, like grade four or five, so like 10 or 11 or something. I remember already saying with one of my good friends at the time that we were going to start a band. But for some reason, we couldn't pick up real instruments like th- like guitars and, and drums and stuff until we were in grade seven, so junior high, just because that's when band programs started. So at that time, we'd already picked what instruments we were going to start playing when, nice. we, when we got into grade seven. Cool. So I never, never ended up actually playing with that guy, but as we got into junior high, I had some good friends that all picked up instruments, and we all started taking lessons and playing together, started a band, and there you go. And yours was drums. Yeah. So you picked that actually before you learned to play the drums. It yeah, wasn't like yeah, yeah. You... Well, I remember even when I was like, I don't know, even younger than 10, I would hear certain drum sounds and be like, why would anyone want a drum set to sound like that? <laughs> like, I'm just going to drop drop some names. Def Leppard. I remember hearing that sound. I was like, why would you want a drum sound like that? <laughs> it sounds fake. But as like, I don't know, an eight-year-old, I would notice that and be like, okay, that's weird. And then, I, I don't know. I was already noticing the drums when I was that's, before I played that's them. That's cool. Mm. Were you, were you ever banging on stuff at the house like pots and pans or anything no. like that? No, I don't think so. I don't know where that came from. I mean, I think when I picked up lessons, I learned relatively quickly. But I also started drums at the same time as a couple other friends, and I didn't learn faster than them really. I just, I mean, I practiced quite a bit and stuff like that. And then as I got better, it gave me more motivation to get better and practice more and when was the moment where i mean i think that probably a lot of 11 year olds dream about playing drums and then a lot of 16 year olds are taking drum lessons when was the moment when you realized you were going to be a, a professional drummer uh, most people don't go through and don't follow through and do that well when the idea crossed my mind i was probably about like 16 or 17 mm-hmm. and it's because it was then when i started playing battle of bands with my friends and like like we practiced we took it really seriously and so when we 
got to do those gigs like we did pretty well especially for our age like we learned our tunes really well they were tight and then once i realized that like oh my identity was like attached to what i was doing then i was like oh this is awesome i kind of want to just do this all the time <laughs> cool. yeah after that i started wondering if it would be possible to do music as a living how one could do that and stuff like that started asking my teachers and then i found out that you could go to music school it, it was scary though because i was initially supposed to go into like engineering or something it's a bit of a shift I got to ask now, like, what were you covering in these Battle of the Bands, and what were some of the better names of the bands you were in? There's got to be something really embarrassing in there. Uh, share it. I don't even <laughs> want to share the, the title of uh, of my first band. <laughs> that was oh, it. now you have to. We'll cut it out if it's not we're appropriate. We're called the, the Pasty Whites. <laughs> the Pasty Whites. <laughs> yeah. That goes perfect with your outfit for yes, today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know um, you guys, I, I know at least one song you covered in a Battle of the Band was uh, that Metallica song. Didn't you tell me you, you played oh. Children of the Grave? Is it? Oh, uh, a... that's Black Sabbath. First off. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, no. What did I just do? <laughs> Dang it. I know it's Black Sabbath. Dang oh. Cut that. Strike that oh, out. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the first song I ever played live and actually learned like the whole way through was Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Nice. Okay. And then I did that in grade eight for the talent show. Nice. <laughs> nice. With my friends that we started a band with later. And then the next talent show, we played Symptom of the Universe by Black Sabbath as well. Okay. Which was way harder. Hmm. But yeah. It was awesome. What's your rock and roll CV? So, like, from when you started, when you were in school to to now, what bands were you in? Where did you play? Oh All man, good well, stuff. I kind of okay, yeah. Initially, like from junior high through high school, I was only doing rock, and so I was really into like punk and metal stuff like that, like Misfits, Metallica, uh, Minor Threat, Dead Kennedys, like pretty heavy stuff, Slayer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then once I got into music school, I was like, oh, I should probably learn to do something else as well because not everybody listens to that music all the time uh and i was just interested in other styles of music so i started i don't know for six years i was like really really heavy into jazz and so when i was in texas that's where i went to university the second school i went to i was in country bands and stuff like that and so i was still using my rock skills that i developed earlier but uh just using them in whatever situation i had to be using them in so depending on what bands i was in and stuff like that and then yeah, I was in cruise ships, stuff like that, and then I moved to Paris, and so it just depends on the artist that I'm playing with. So Your large fan base wants to know more about the cruise ship All part right. of your career. That's a very <laughs> popular source of conversation. Tell us some good stories. Some good stories about Or just tell ships. us what it was like to be on oh, working man. as a drummer on a cruise ship. Cruise ship life is so easy. As long as you're not an alcoholic and you can show up on time. <laughs> You got yourself a gig, generally. I mean, it can be hard to get it. You do have to be at like a reasonable level musically to, to get that kind of gig. Yeah. So we were playing four hours a night of, of just performing. It was five, five or six sets per night, seven days a week. And it was like all new material at least for one, like at least one week of all new material for, for every set. So we were literally playing over a thousand songs. We had a huge... Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's good That's that we said insane. that at the same time. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And it's like all styles. We would do two sets of like cocktail jazz and stuff like that then we do wow. ballroom dance to pop to beatles elvis whatever like anything people asked us to do we'd like to be able to to play it so we just learned like everything amazing so, so you're the human drumming jukebox yeah something like that <laughs> but i didn't actually have to like you know memorize sheet music i just like roughly know the the tempo how the song kind of goes and you kind of follow the cues there you go cool that's a good good approach <laughs> did you use Shows charts you or did you nope. just follow the cues just follow the cues. I mean, uh, for certain heavily arranged songs, like we had a Neil Diamond night, and like his songs are weird. Same with some Beatles tunes. Like I had to, I learned them like for like note for note. I, yeah. But I would memorize all of them. I wouldn't uh, write almost anything down. I don't think. 
maybe like the first night that we would do just like smash out 12 new tunes or something i would maybe have some like roughly written charts or something cool where, where did you get to in the world on that cruise ship Shoot those oh, cruise ships oh man a lot of places uh i've i know alaska very well okay <laughs> better than i should i spent like nine months of my life in there wow which is kind of crazy um pacific mexico oh I, I should just say like where i haven't really seen uh i haven't been to northern asia like japan yeah. i haven't been to very much of africa i've only been to like tunisia and egypt in africa and then i haven't been in scandinavia that still leaves a lot of the world yeah. that you got to yeah yeah uh, on, sh- yeah. on board ship. a lot, That's very lot cool. of stuff so speaking of all those places how did you get to rock you actually it was actually through some students two of my students were taking classes here or more three more. three three or three or more four, my yeah. students were already here and i kept on hearing about it and uh one of my most advanced students he just eventually or no i was playing with his like recital or something yeah it was at his school uh music night yeah neil's yeah. neil's bogart yeah can, Give, yeah. it, give him a shout give out. A little, hey, Nils, you listening? I don't think he's listening. <laughs> he's probably not. <laughs> uh, so I met Matt through him, and I ended up doing some lessons here and stuff like that. And then did I start playing with the doodads before? I Honestly, I can't remember. I think so. I yeah. think maybe so, yeah. It's like a semester or something before yeah. Yeah. something opened up. I can answer that in part, too. I mean, all of Rory's students were amazing drummers and actually have formed the backbone of a lot of our bands. We've had four of our most advanced drummers have been your students over the years and some of your younger students uh, playing amazing too for their age and uh, i was like this guy's gotta gotta know what he's doing let's let's go see what he's up to (laughs) kind of you but yeah they've all been great students i find it very rare to have students that don't actually enjoy playing i mean they they might not always be practicing a ton but you know they like what they're doing and stuff like that and that's why i like teaching because as long as they're interested in what i have to show them yeah i'm happy so yeah so you play for the doodads here in Paris, but I know you play with other bands too. Who mm-hmm. else do you play with? Okay, I play with a guitarist named Jean-Baptiste Hardy, and he's a that's like a jazz trio with one one of the t- other teachers here at Rock U, Ben Asnar. So that's like a f- jazz fusiony kind of group. It's kind of hard to say what style it is precisely. And then I used to play a lot with this guy James Dempsey in his group. I forgot what it's called. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Rev. Yes, Jimmy yeah. Rev. Jimmy Rev. I haven't played with him in a while. He's had two kids now, and uh, the gigs are a bit slower now, mm. less, fewer and further between. Yeah. Something, happen- something might have happened. I'm not sure what's going on in the world. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sometimes I play the odd gig with David Garlitz and his band, um, Cobra Fantastic. Yeah. Also just teacher. random jazz gigs, not necessarily with formed groups, but just people that you get a gig and they call you and you go and play I've always been curious about this because I know that you like to listen to metal mm-hmm. and I know you like to play a lot of jazz and of course you play rock with us and we hear it rock you and with the doodads. Do you have a favorite style or is it just drumming is drumming? I just get sick of everything after. <laughs> <laughs> That's true actually. I yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, that goes for absolutely everything. If I'm teaching too much, you know, especially if I'm teaching private lessons yeah. too much, I'll get sick of that. So I like to do the groups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm doing too much rock, I'll get sick of that. If I'm doing too much jazz, so yeah, that's why. That's the only reason I could actually do cruise ships is because we were one of the only musical situations where we could play a whole bunch of styles in one spot. Whereas most of the bands, like, you're stuck playing to like these MIDI tracks, and it's really soul sucking and terrible. <laughs> uh, even though that could be fun to work on some things, you're gonna get sick of it eventually. Yeah. yeah, I just like to do bits and pieces of a whole bunch of different things. Well, note to self, don't push Roy to teach too many classes. <laughs> 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 
Do you mind if I jump in with another Go one right that ahead. follows that? I was going to say, do you have a, a like a best gig experience? Do you have a, 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 a musical moment that just really stands out for you? Best gig experience. Or memorable. A memorable gig experience. I got to... Oh, I mean, this gig... Well, I'd actually, I didn't even actually have fun because they didn't pay us. They refused to pay us. But I played, <laughs> I played in... Uh, uh, what's the stadium in Dallas? The Dallas Cowboy Stadium, whenever it is. Dallas, da- Dal- Dallas Stadium, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, big the old one. What, what year? 2009 or something. Okay. Was it the brand new one with the giant jumbotron or the old one? It was a big screen. It was a huge. <laughs> you played at Jerry World, which okay. is huge. Yeah, it was massive. And there was 37,000 people there or something. Wow. wow. I was playing with the uh, UNT, University of North Texas uh, Orchestra, which I don't normally play with them but they needed a drummer for this classical piece they were for some reason it was like some football thing and we were opening for tim mcgraw (laughs) 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 so it was like a fundraiser for the school but not really i I think they were just like taking advantage of the students that's what that's that's definitely what it felt like because Uh. we had to rehearse the tunes we showed up we literally couldn't leave the dressing rooms because they didn't trust us to go anywhere and they refused to pay us even though there was thirty-seven thousand people there that paid like 70 dollars a ticket or something that seems fair yeah. <laughs> so I was pretty bitter when I played that gig, but it was cool to look up and he was like, well, that's a lot that's of people. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole lot of people. Yeah. It was so many that, like, I actually wasn't even nervous because they just seemed so far away. Yeah. It's like looking yeah. outside of an airplane window or something. It's just wow. a different thing. So were you guys down on the field, like, oh, on, yeah, the, yeah. on the floor? Yeah. I just had a click. I was playing with a conductor, but I couldn't watch him because I couldn't catch the beat precisely in what he was doing. So I just told him, I was like, just give me a click. I'm not even going to look at you. And we're all going to be fine. <laughs> and that's, that's what we did. <laughs> this is not on our question list, but Rory just reminded me. i got to ask this question. Do you like playing with a click track, or does that get intrusive for you? Uh, I do like it because it's a challenge. I don't mm-hmm. do it that often. I have on that gig and then also in recording situations, and that's pretty much it. I've almost never done it live. Mm. Yeah, all the rock gigs I've typically done have been either with artists that don't require that or they're, they don't have, like, a super tight set or something. Who are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I thought the doodads were super tight. Oh, yeah, sure. That's exactly right. <laughs> I know we're going to go over your five favorite rock drummers later on, mm-hmm. but who's your favorite drummer, like, any genre, any time? Oh, man. Like, your favorite rock drummer... This minute, we won't hold you to it for the My rest. Favorite of rock drummer this minute. Oh, sorry, favorite drummer this minute. Any moment. drummer. Any drummer. Um, I honestly, I can't, I can't say that. I don't know. Uh, I've dabbled in too many styles and stuff that I can't pick just one person. Wow, that's like way too hard. Okay, uh, who's the who's the guy that you would tell me to go look at on Instagram or YouTube to like <laughs> just be like, oh, this guy's up and coming and new and cool. Up and coming, new and cool. Instagram drummer. Uh, well, I think that would be you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> beside, beside you. By, by the way, Rory is on Instagram, and you should <laughs> check him out. It's it's what at RQ Drums. Yeah, exactly. Okay, go check Rory but out. I actually at RQ Drums. I don't use Instagram that much. I post on it, but I actually try to stay away from it because it's so easy to just like get caught up comparing yourself to other people. So I just like post my stuff and then I leave, close it. Out, <laughs> smart guy. <laughs> That's it is, it is good to get some new ideas and stuff like that. Oh, here we go. Ash Sohn. He is not an up-and-coming drummer, but I heard about him first when I got on Instagram. He's a fantastic, like, mainly studio drummer out of England. Before Instagram, I didn't know who he was, and he is one of the best, for sure. He is an awesome drummer. He's really good. He's, yeah. he's uh, drummed for Adele and yeah. a couple other people. And Tons of people. He played with Seal. 
Ash Sohn. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, you he, actually good. turned me on to him, and I've been watching his videos on YouTube and Instagram, and and yeah, he's he is really good. Well, tell us a bit more about the Instagram channel. What are you doing on Instagram? What do you want people to get from that? Well, initially, I just realized I didn't have much of myself on the internet. And since one should have such things... You should. Someone should be able to look <laughs> you up. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I decided, well, I should probably do something and create my own content rather than depend on bands that I've been in for them to post things of me or whatever. So I was living in a small apartment, still living in a pretty small one, but I couldn't just like you know record me playing drums because I can't do that unless I go to a studio and it's kind of a pain. Your neighbors would get mad at you. Yeah, yeah. So then I just started posting videos on brushes because I played a lot of brushes when I was on cruise ships. And then they started doing pretty well. I was like, oh. I also saw that not many people were making brush videos. And then I had the idea of just trying to create like a, a library of little lessons or tutorials or videos, tips on, on brushes, because I hadn't really seen that yet. Yeah. And so I started doing that with my page, and I'm still doing that. So it's, it's cool. on my page, it's mainly brushes, but that's definitely not at all what I only play. But And for those of you who don't know, Rory's actually a sponsored drummer, oh, yeah. because <laughs> you've got who's Evan's Heads and Promark Sticks, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, Diderio is the yeah Diderio is the parent company for Promark. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and didn't didn't you get contacted by them because of your Instagram? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and I still, I mean, my channel's a reasonable size, but it's it's not that big compared to other people's. And yeah, they contacted me even when I had I don't know only a couple thousand followers or something, but they just liked that I was doing I guess something original or I don't know that they were well done. And there you go. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's good. Do stuff. they pay us now that we had you on as a oh, guest? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're all, so we're, we're all getting hooked up. When we had to change the heads on our kit here, Rory picked out the heads from Evans and yep. set them all up and did it. Actually, you can find on our uh, Facebook and Instagram, you can find a tutorial from Rory on how to change drum heads. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What's on your music bucket list? What do you want to do before your career is over? Man, you guys ask all these like epic questions, and I just never think about things like this. Musical bucket list. I don't know. Um, oh man, <laughs> maybe I should be thinking more about this kind of stuff. <laughs> Got starting to think doing it. Now. Yeah, yeah, I just kind of like drift along, yeah. play tunes with kids. <laughs> well, is then, then, then you've achieved it. Then. You got it. You check it off. Is teaching on your? You know, is that is that what you really love to do? I mean, besides, play, I know you love to play drums, but yeah, yeah. is teaching one of your loves as well? I mean, teaching, to be honest, it was never something that was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be like the best teacher anyone's ever heard of. I never really thought like that. But I was always interested in, I guess, drum education. I was always going to clinics and things like that. Yeah. And uh, I really loved my uh, lessons as I was learning and stuff like that. And I got to study with some incredible teachers. And then once I did get into teaching, I did realize that I, I think I was good at it. And I, 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 didn't like, I did like it. And so it kind of started falling into doing that kind of stuff. It's way, way more stable <laughs> than trying to survive <laughs> off of playing gigs. Which, and, and like after a while, trying to survive off gigs is, it's tiring. I, I don't really like it that much. So, mm. because it's just very draining in more ways than one. Teaching is, it's kind of like the opposite in a, in a sense. So again, if I just do too much of either thing, I'll go crazy. Even if it's too many gigs, like I don't like doing that either. Who inspired you as a teacher? Well, all, all my teachers. I liked all my lessons with all of them. I never left a teacher because I didn't like them. My first one was Gord Graber in Edmonton. Second one was Cody Osborne, also in Edmonton. And then when I went to university at McEwen in Edmonton, I was studying with Brian Thurgood. He was mainly a classical percussionist, but he had a really good musical sense and he had really solid ideas on how to develop technique. And he could play drum set still pretty well. And his snare technique was like, it was good. 
that he, that he could play. He knew how to get musicality out of all of his students really well, even though he wasn't like a chops monster or something. But then when I went to the Univers- University of North Texas, I was studying with Ed Sof. And I mean, that guy, he was like one of the best teachers of all time. He's taught many, many famous players. And so I was literally starstruck taking mm. lessons with him, yeah. like super nervous. And then also he's, he's, he can be an intimidating person to begin with because he, he wants straight answers, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even how he played and stuff, he, he was definitely inspiring in that regard too. When you were at UNT, I know that there there's a setup for the guys that play in certain bands at certain times. Yeah. Can you tell us about that a little bit? And then I remember you saying that you were there at the same time as the guys in Snarky Puppy. All those are true. Yeah, they have this thing called the lab bands at UNT where it was originally set up so that the 1 o'clock lab band would rehearse at 1 o'clock, the 2 o'clock rehearses at 2 o'clock, and it goes all the way down to 9 o'clock. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, but the 9 o'clock actually rehearses at like 6 or something because at a certain point they rehearse at the same time in different rooms, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the 1 o'clock lab band, that's the highest ranking lab band. The 9 o'clock is the worst ranking lab band but even to get in the nine o'clock at least for drummers it's hard it takes a lot of people two years just to get into that nine o'clock because yeah you audition every semester if say at the end of your third year or even i think your your second year if you're not placing in those bands you're not going to graduate so it's intense like it's really nerve-wracking so it was good because it taught me to deal with auditions like even now if i do auditions i I do well because i know how to prepare for them but at the time it was super stressful it was really really stressful i still have nightmares about them Wow. Oh, wow. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's like the, that's <laughs> like the nightmares you, that Matt and I have about waking up and not having studied for the final. I never had that one. I have totally different <laughs> nightmares than you. I promise. <laughs> I, I have nightmares about opening the back of the van and all the instruments are gone. Um, so, well, I was going to ask you this question sort of as a joke, but on a scale of, uh, I don't know, five po- popcorn buckets, how many, uh, how many popcorn buckets do you give to Whiplash? Because I, I have no idea what it's like to go to one of those schools, but yeah. you know that, well, that strikes me as pretty pretty uh intense. there's a lot of things that yeah. that movie does not have right like they, they make it sound like they made like a sports movie out mm-hmm. of a music situation or something true. yeah that's true um it is extremely competitive but you're friends with all of your peers generally mm-hmm. speaking that's definitely something that the movie got wrong it was like you're not friends with the other drummers like it's not at all like that it's most of the pressure is a lot of it is from yourself some of it is from the teachers but like with those lab band auditions you get ranked you place in those bands and then everybody can see where you place and people judge you on what band you're in like people will actually not talk to you because you're in a lower band like you don't get the respect or clout and so yeah like i remember when i got in the four o'clock i was like oh finally i'm gonna get some respect around here (laughs) (laughs) and like that's not even a joke that's just actually how it was and it probably still is like that i'm sitting next to one of your students and i happen to live with one of your students what is the one thing you want all your students but we're not the same student right sorry two different students that's my wife becky (laughs) who takes drum lessons with rory what is the one thing you want all your drum students to learn play with metronome (laughs) good answer Can he I said it? he said that in my last lesson, so I can vouch for that. Follow up question: What's the one thing that everyone knows about music that's wrong? That it's just the drummer that's in charge of the time. Ooh, good. good. Gotcha. You yeah. are totally right on that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people think it's like, oh, if we're speeding up or slowing down, it's all about the drummer. It is often sometimes it's depending hard. on what the drummer is doing. But everybody needs to know what's happening rhythmically, right. and if people are pushing and pulling on what the drummer is doing, it makes their job really, really hard. If you're playing with more than one person, you should be, you know, working with a metronome and stuff like that because you need to learn how to adapt to other people's interpretations of rhythm. That's interesting. Cool. I hadn't thought of it that way. 
I got one last question. Are you, do you have anything else you want to ask? Go for it. One last question. All right. We can finish the first segment with this. Rory, tell us what you think of the cajon. <laughs> <laughs> the cajon played properly is awesome. I mean, in, in a lot of flamenco music, I've heard it in that, as well as a lot of other Latin styles. And it can be really, really well played. There's some guys, you see them in the metro, African dudes, and they're like really playing the hell of it. And it's very impressive. That's awesome. But like how I play it, I, I'm not very good at it. It just hurts my hands. I, it feels like my hands are falling off. I played it on, I think it was only one just dude once. Gig, yeah. And I regretted it. Felt like my hands were going to fall off after that. I played it on another acoustic rock gig. It's never acoustic. It's, it's just loud. Acoustic. It's always it's just, loud. It's always and you loud. regret bringing the guy home. <laughs> Hey, rockers, spring break is coming up. Got something to do? We've got bands both weeks of the spring break from April 25th through May 6th. You can come try new instruments, play the instruments you like, learn some new songs, make videos at the end of each week of the songs you've made with your band. You want some more information? You know where to go. www.rock-u.fr. All right, we're back. And Matt and I are sitting here still with Rory Quinn. We're going to go over, at least Rory and I are, our top five rock drummers. Now, Rory, you've got your list? Yeah. Okay. Did you rank them in any way, shape, or form? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> so we'll just, we'll go random. I that's, will, that's I will, my approach. I yeah. will back off and do Matt's approach and go <laughs> random as well. All right. So do you want to start or do you want me to start? Well, I'm sure this guy's on both of our lists, but we'll just say John Bonham. He's on there. Your number five is John Bonham, and this is oh. in no particular order. Yeah. <laughs> so John Bonham's your number five. Why do you like John Bonham? Actually, maybe I should have mentioned him second. But for me, he's he was just like, in a sense, it was like Ringo was showing people, okay, this is, this is what rock drums is, okay? And then he kind of brought it to the next level of like, if you bring technique to rock drums, this is what you can do with it. My number five is Carter Beaufort from the Dave Matthews Band. Watching that guy play drums is crazy. He plays open-handed, and he can do like 30-second notes on one drum with one hand, and that always blows my mind. Wow. But the, the guy is just is an amazing player. He's the only guy I know that uses uh, golf gloves <laughs> yeah, when, he, yeah, when he, he plays. He wears <laughs> foot joy. He's actually endorsed by foot joy. So, like, if you started wearing gloves on your on your uh, Instagram channel, I'm sure foot joy <laughs> might come after you, too. <laughs> what do you have for number four? Next one was uh, Ringo. And yeah, I just like him because he it's a more minimalist approach. A lot of people uh, rag on him, but a lot of I don't know, like a lot of the stuff that he does, it's not easy. Like if you get a beginner to play early Beatles stuff, they can't do it. It's hard. It's fast. Like help is fast. You're not going to be able to do yeah, that. Yeah, it is. But he, a lot of the stuff that he does, it is minimalist. But it's because he wants to be minimalist. You know, like he he doesn't need the hi hat when he's playing his rock groove necessarily. And I like how a lot of his drum parts they're a part of the song, like come together. Mm -hmm. If you play that song without that that intro it's it's gonna sound weird it's not gonna sound like the same song it'll sound like a, a reinterpretation of that tune yeah served the song as well mm -hmm. as any drummer mm -hmm. i think that's true number four for me is uh darren king i'm not sure if a lot of people are going to know who darren king is he's he was the drummer for mute math before he left the band okay yeah 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 mute math is uh, a band from new orleans that started out with uh, i forget the singer's name but darren king would send him beats and he would send stuff that he had written on keyboards or synthesizer to darren via email and I think Darren was living in St. Louis. It was kind of like the postal service. They would send stuff back and forth, and they would work on songs. And finally, they decided to say, you know, we're going to start a band. And mm. the beats that he does, just crazy good, 
crazy complicated. And I went and saw him live a couple of times, and he he puts on a set of regular can headphones, yeah, and then tapes them to yeah, his yeah, head yeah. <laughs> so that they'll stay on. I don't know if he's doing a click or what he's listening to, but man, that's he's he's a really cool guy. Yeah, I saw him on um, Letterman. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And you could see David Letterman was impressed with him as well. <laughs> yeah. Who's at number three for you? My next one is uh, Stuart Copeland. That's of my the police? Favorite. That's of the my police. favorite. Yeah, yeah. He's somebody, I haven't like learned all of his licks or something, but I've had some Stuart Copeland phases um, yeah. for sure. I just like how he very consciously almost did the opposite of what other people were doing. And that kind of helped carve out his style so like he, he didn't want to play backbeats so we just like would just play the kick on all four beats and you know but that obviously works a bit better with like a reggae kind of thing yeah so that fit really well with the police but even like his cymbal sizes and stuff he, he very often like he used small hi-hats when like especially right now everyone's going for like ride cymbal sized hi-hats mm-hmm. and he, he was always using really small hi-hats using splash cymbals and just like weird things experimenting doing his own thing rather than uh i guess following what other people would do his yeah. his kit is really cool. He's got these really long, yeah. narrow. To- I don't know if they, even if they're called toms, but they're and he's got dozens of them. It seems yeah, like. yeah, lots of weird stuff. And I've actually never really delved into what he was doing with all those kinds of things. I just like how he sounds even on recordings because he just has a really yeah. cool, aggressive style. You can tell yeah. he's he's improvising a lot. He's very yeah. off the cuff. He hits really hard too. Oh yeah, he hits super hard. Yeah, and he's. Um, I don't know how much of this. I don't know technically how much of this affected his his drumming sense, but he he grew up in Lebanon. Yep. And I always assumed yeah. that some of those Middle Eastern rhythms made their way into his drumming. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I don't know that it is, because it's not like he... The rhythms that are from there, I don't think you really hear that in the police. Okay. Most of his licks, you can tell, are pretty reggae-derived. Yeah. Cut that part out where I make the mistake. About- <laughs> <laughs> My number three guy is Will Calhoun, and he's the drummer for a band called Living Color, they're still together, oddly enough. They had a few uh, really good records back in the late 80s, early 90s. He's another just ridiculously fast, ridiculously good. He's, his timing is amazing. He's so impressive, and he's really a small guy. So you're like, how, how does he get that much sound out of that kit with being that little? But he hits super hard, and he's amazing. If you, if you haven't listened to Living Color and you like rock and roll... Go look them up and have a listen to the drums that Will Calhoun plays. All right, who's your number two? Okay, this is a guy that you guys probably haven't heard of. His name is John Theodore, and he played for the Mars Volta. That's where he started getting famous. Okay. Uh, now he's playing for Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, oh cool. Uh, so I've heard of that. He's man. doing well, for sure. But he, what was it early 2000s? He, yeah, he played on this album, like a, a couple EPs and an, an album, a full-length album. No, two full-length albums, I think, with the Mars Volta. Uh-huh. And he's good. He, he was really, really good. Like, the stuff he was doing was nuts. And I still cannot play what he's doing. It's not just like, I can't make it sound like him. It's like, I literally can't play what he's doing. And and let me tell you this. If Rory's saying he can't play it, that's ridiculously hard. And then on top of that, he, he's hitting like very, very hard. Like he he's a big dude. He uses yeah. also like he, he's a massive John Bonham fan. So he uses these uh, Ludwig Vista Lights 26-inch kick all the time. And so he's not playing this super fast stuff on like a little bebop kit. It's like, big big drums hitting very hard and it's super precise but he also he just has a really good feel and really creative ideas he has his own sound all right my number two is barry frosty smith the way i got into him was he played drums for an austin band called soul hat but 
He actually played before that. Uh, he started playing with Soul Hat in the late 80s, early 90s, I think. But he played for Funkadelic. Oh, wow. He was this old white guy that actually played drums for Funkadelic and a, and a number of other bands. The guy's absolutely amazing. If you pull out Soul Hat's first two full-length records, Out to Box, and I forget the name of the other one, his timing is amazing. His syncopation is amazing. Who's the top of your non-ranked list? <laughs> All right. Well, so this guy's he's kind of in, in several worlds of, of music at once, but Bernard Purdy. Bur- yeah. Uh, Pretty Purdy. <laughs> yeah. Just because... His time and feel is like the best. <laughs> yeah, and he's not necessarily doing anything flashy, even though he can do difficult things as well. But he's just—he always also just seems like such a nice guy. Like he's having just—he's enjoying playing music. He also just sounds incredible all the time. He's one of the only guys that has has a shuffle named after him that everybody takes their own shuffle after. It's like, oh well, that's you know Jeff Porcaro's shuffle is based on the Purdy shuffle. Or yeah. Bonham's was Bonham's "Fool in the Rain" was that based off the Purdy Shuffle or no? I don't know that he actually heard it first, but they started happening at a very similar time. Uh, I don't know what the what the details are with that. Right, but well, I know I know Jeff I know the Rosanna, Rosanna Shuffle came from a mix of "Fool in the Rain" and from per, the Purdy Shuffle. He he mixed both those together. And yeah, my number one and avid listeners of our podcast of our going <laughs> to guess this. Uh, who is it, Matt? <laughs> I'm guessing it's Neil Peart of Rush. You're right. You're 100% right. Just because (laughs) Neil Peart is, in my opinion, and I know Rory's going to have something to say about this because he's told (laughs) me about this before, but I love Neil. His technical preciseness is great, but as you said to me once, well, he's a rock drummer. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. That's a sick burn. (laughs) From one Canadian drummer to another, I would think you'd be a little easier on Neil there. No, I love Neil. I love Neil as well. I mean, I, I grew up listening to him a lot, and I mean, I still like. I, I played. Uh, I played Tom Sawyer once as, as a cover, and it was awesome. It was cool. a, lot, a lot of fun. It's just. It's just a bit more of a rigid sound than what I like to. What I prefer. Mm-hmm. That's all. So was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. Send us your thoughts or send us a voice memo. And maybe if you're lucky, we'll play it on the feedback portion of our podcast whenever we do the feedback part. All right, we're back, and we're still here with Rory Quinn, and uh, we're going to go through our six-pack of questions that we're doing for each interview. E, it's kind of like the lightning round. It's almost like a one-minute matchup, but not really. So we've got six questions for Rory. We'll switch off asking questions, right. and we'll we'll run through it. Because I want question three, and you want question four. Okay. Well, then why don't right. why don't you start then? Fine, I'll start. I, I think you kind of already answered this one, Rory. But what's your favorite song to play on drums? Well, one of my favorite song experiences, I guess, was when I was playing a a tune in high school, "Raining Blood" by Slayer. Okay. And because it starts off where it's just like dun dun dun, There's, you do that for like two minutes, and nobody knows what's going on, and then the guitar riff starts. And once we started playing that, like people just started going crazy. But in that same set, we also covered "Tom Sawyer" by Rush. And those are like two very different styles of songs. I remember people different. were like 
people were mad at us for playing Tom Sawyer because it's not like the most metal really? song. We were playing it at like oh, a rock, okay. A, okay. a punk venue. Yeah. And so people like hated us from that song and then they just went totally nuts for Raining Blood. <laughs> it was just like such an insane musical experience that I still remember just like, whoa, that was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question two. What's your favorite piece of music gear? The metronome. The metronome. <laughs> nice, good, all right. Short yeah. You are such a drum teacher. The metronome. Play yeah. to the metronome. Well, last night I was trying to think of an answer, and I was like, I can't think of anything that I actually care that much about. Then I was like, oh, a metronome. Just Let's write that down. Put the tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so we've had, we've had this conversation before, and it's kind of a tricky one to phrase, but I think you know the question. If you could join any rock band in history, without changing the composition of the band, which band would you join? Yeah, I, I answered you this before, but I said Led Zeppelin, playing drums with Led Zeppelin. But at the same time, I, like, I probably would have gotten sick of playing their music, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could just play in one band, unless it's like a band like, I don't know, Snarky Puppy. Like, they're just yeah. doing so much different stuff. Yeah. Then I know I wouldn't get sick of doing something like that. Question four. If you were the first DJ on a brand new rock radio station, what song would you pick as the first song that they played? While right. they were on the air. This is going to sound kind of lame to a lot of people probably, but I would put Smells Like Teen Spirit on there. Because nice. I remember when I was little, my, my brother, he came home with uh, Nevermind, Smash by Offspring, Dookie by Green Day, and Soundgarden. I forget what their first album was called. but And that was when I like first got into music. And I remember listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit on repeat for at least two hours in a row just playing Lego and just like yeah this song is awesome <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, ma- you're making me feel old because that came out when I was out of college already so. <laughs> alright if you could go back to witness any moment in rock history which moment would it be I wish I could have heard Jimi Hendrix that probably would have been pretty awesome I was, yeah. I was just watching a video of him playing with the with the kids upstairs for one of the classes the other week and man you, you forget how good he actually was yeah. at guitar especially when you see him live like he's not even look like thinking about what he's doing he's, he's just, just relaxed playing, he's in the groove and he's yeah. doing all this stuff that is still like playing it behind his head playing it with <laughs> yeah. his teeth just doing all sorts of crazy stuff yeah here's the last question what are the last five songs on your listening history on your phone or wherever it is you listen to music all right so these are the past songs that i've been actually listening to myself not picks for that my students have succumbed me to or something. <laughs> <laughs> not, not stuff that your so, students are trying to get you to yeah. teach them okay. no imagine dragons on that list no, no, okay definitely, definitely <laughs> i was playing along with 10 ton skeleton by royal blood yesterday i was supposed to go cool. see them yeah. at a concert yesterday but the gig got canceled because the trucks couldn't get through a strike apparently that's so french yeah, yeah. welcome to france everyone <laughs> and then there's probably a few other t- uh, tunes of theirs that i was listening to as well i really like um out of the black out of the black yeah yeah that's an awesome too yeah and then i was also playing along with some jazz tunes so cherokee by max roach and clifford brown and then tenor madness with sonny rollins and Col- john coltrane oh cool there you nice. go rory we want to thank you for coming in and being our very first guest on extra credit the rock you podcast this has been exciting well thanks again for having me it was a, yeah. it was a pleasure Ladies and gentlemen, that is Rory Quinn of RQ Drums on Instagram. The heartbeat, or the metronome, I guess now I should say, of the doodads. Um, Bedrock of Rock U, teaching eight of our bands. And uh, And also a pretty darn good uh, individual lesson teacher, because he's gotten me further on drums than I ever could have gotten on my own. All right. Thanks, Rory. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks.
Today's episode of Extra Credit The Rock You Podcast is sponsored by our good friends and partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop shop for all Anglophone music creation in Paris. Go check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com, including their first release, the EP Posture, by former Rock U student Person M. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.